Hi, everybody. It's a pleasure, an absolute privilege for me to be here with you tonight. My uh, mission for my life is to serve those who serve. So I believe we're here um, in purpose and with an absolute possibility of breaking through a lot of BS. So BS to me is belief systems, belief systems. So BS. So I'd love you to have a blank piece of paper, a pen, something to make notes with, uh, a way to stay engaged here as we go along. You're certainly open to all your questions, comments, insights, anything that you want to share via the technology that we have. It. I'm very open and, and willing to, to join you in that way. I feel like I'm a student also, and it's very reciprocal as we join in the oneness of the one power, the one presence that is the creator of this, that it is absolutely for the benefit of ourselves, our souls, and and that of humankind, all of humanity as we realize together our own divinity. The work is can be found. It's free and can be found. A lot of resources at thework.com, www.thework.com. So uh, hundreds and hundreds of videos, uh, excerpts from the book, 30-some languages. It's been translated, all sorts of support there for anybody that wants it, to go deeper into it. The work is a way to identify and question the thoughts that cause all the suffering in the world. To question the thoughts that cause all the suffering in the world. It is a way to find peace within yourself. And as you're able, then as I'm able to find peace within myself, I'm going to be peace in the world. Anyone with an open mind can do it. It requires no philosophies, no theories, no religious backgrounds or basis. It is a tool, a technology. It's on the premise that our suffering is caused by thoughts. Thought as cause, feelings as effect. So then a technology to deal with the thought itself. What is causing the feeling, whatever feeling it is. It has been tested and tried throughout um, decades now. Um, as a powerful method, it's referred to as inquiry. And it has been demonstrated through efficacies and demonstrated through mental health professions um, that people have actually freed themselves, so to speak. It worked when other therapies couldn't and didn't. It is consistent with leading-edge cognitive behavioral therapy, which is how it's referred to in the mental health profession, CBT. And it's consistent with leading edge research in neurosciences and the brain scientists, sciences and how the brain is actually wired and works. It has been compared to Socratic dialogues, Buddhist teaching, 12 step programs, and it is not, no other method is required. It's not linked to anything else. It is based purely on your own direct experience, not to believe Martha Creek, not to believe anyone else but purely based on your own experience to discover how suffering is created and how it can be ended, internal suffering. It is astonishingly simple, 
That is one of my favorite parts about the work, that it's free, accessible to everyone, and profoundly simple. And that simplicity is what brings the profound shift in me. It's accessible to people of all ages, any backgrounds. It requires nothing. And we, you, I can offer it um, as an inquiry because people are invited. You're invited here tonight to give your own answers. And I pray and know that transformation comes as we're willing to do this. So I'll be reading a little bit from the excerpt of the book, the Textbook is called Loving What Is, Loving What Is, and the tagline for the book, the subtitle for the book is Living in Harmony with the Way Things Are. Living in Harmony with the Way Things Are. Now, I want to make clear here that I often do not love what is. I often don't like what is even. I seldom, rarely anymore, am a hostage to what is or a victim to what is. And herein lies my liberation, my freedom, and the power of the universe is there in that place when I am not resisting and opposing and affronted, victimized by what is. So I often say, and I'm quoted as, I didn't write the book. If I had written the book, it would be called Loving What Sucks, not Loving What Is. And that's the, that's the work. So that how that I can accept life on its terms, accepting what I cannot change, absolutely changing what I can, knowing the difference. I'm reading from the excerpt of the book. This is at thework.com. What is, is. The only time we suffer is when we believe a thought that argues with what is. The only time we suffer is when we believe a thought that argues with what is. When the mind is perfectly clear It can see that what is is simply what is. If you want reality to be different than it is, you might as well try to teach a cat to bark. And we do it. I do it. I witness people doing it. I witness my family doing it. I witness Teachers doing it. I witness preachers doing it. I I, I witness us try and try and try and try and try and try to teach a cat to bark. To get people to change their belief systems. To get people to change their ways. To get people to get a job. Eat this. Drink that. Smoke that. Don't smoke that. Think this way. And it's extremely frustrating, irritating, A leak of energy, vital life force. And then after all that trying and efforting and trying and efforting and suffering, we look down on the cat we're trying to teach to bark, and the cat says meow. Wanting reality to be different than it is is hopeless. 
And yet, every day, day in and day out, the mind is infinite. Thoughts, beliefs like this arise over and over and over, dozens and dozens and times a day since our, all of our life, that all formed between our three and six-year-old periods where all these thoughts arose and we as little kids didn't know to question them. We didn't know they're false. We didn't know their concepts. We didn't know that the, the magnitude and the mag- magnetism of them to grow and grow and get bigger and have babies. We didn't know the, the impact of a false thought, one false thought, not questioned, not one false thought, not believed. And then we took it on as a belief system. So I'll be talking through the mini series um, and asking myself and you to consider the differences in our fantasies and our realities. So people should be kinder. Fantasy or reality. People should be kinder. How do you react when you believe people should be kinder and they're not being kind? How do you react? What are the consequences on you when you're believing the thought they should be kinder and life, reality, is reporting something different? How do you react? What is the impact to you of believing the false thought? Then how do you treat the person that you believe should be kinder when they're not being kinder? How do you treat them? What do you put out into the world? What do you put forth when you're holding a belief they should be kinder and they're not showing up as that? Very big consequences. So we're perpetuating in the world the very thing we claim we want to end in the world under the effects of just one thought. One teeny little unquestioned thought like people should be kinder. So you don't have to like they're not unkind or that they're not kind. You don't have to love that they're not kind or unkind. We also do not have to resist it and be hostage to it and be victimized by it too because that victimization is what causes us to put out unkindness. Victims are very violent people. The more we're victimized, more likely we are to react in kind, to strike out, strike out, to confront, to combat, to be triggered, to be irritated, frustrated, or, in there, or get resigned, or apathetic, or pitiful, or powerless. Very broad spectrum of reactivity to the effect of just one thought. 
people should be kinder. So who would you be if you weren't under the effects of that thought? If you could have the thought, the thought arises. You didn't get to pick it. You don't get to vote. The thought just comes in. People should be kinder. Who would you be having that thought if you weren't under its effects? How would you treat the person being unkind while being unkind? If you weren't believing what they're doing is unkind to you. How would you see them differently? And one of the things I practice. When I do this work and I have a thought like she's unkind to me, is I drop that to me and put a period in there. So she's unkind, period. Not she's unkind to me, which is the victim salute. This is happening to me. So you might try that on as a practice. I'll give two or three little practices each week and see if you can um, get some application of this and what it would be like between each between our weeks here and what, what you may can discover from week to week by applying this. So drop the to me. She is unkind, period. Not she is unkind to me. And then the last piece of the work is to turn the thought around. So people should be kinder. Turn it around to the opposite. Try that on. People should not be kinder. Is that more reality-based? She is, people should be kinder. People should not be kinder. People should not be kinder unless they are. Reality rules. So to say that people should be kinder... Is fantasy based, mythology, fairy tale, three year old, innocent little three year old. So any should is an indicator that we're opposing reality. So any should is a portal to hell. Any should opposes reality. Any should is a portal to hell, a portal to suffering. 
So any should that we entertain, we've just checked ourselves into hell hotel. This is good news. We hold the key. We hold the key. So we can check out anytime we want by turning it around to know they shouldn't be kinder unless they are. People shouldn't be kinder unless they are. Reality. So this is a reality check. It also means we throw in the towel on the shoulds. If we want less suffering, check out of Hell Hotel and come into some reality with to the realization, self-realization, that reality rules. And for me, um, God is reality. And so whatever your word for that is, life rules, universe rules. What is, is. What, it, what is created us, what is, what is divine in here is going to rule. So we're, we're not going to get our way sometimes. And we're, we're not often going to like that. So people should be kinder. One way to turn it around is people should not be kinder. So we turn it around to the opposite, a straight up opposite. Another way to turn it around is I should be kinder. Whoa, whoa, you mean it starts with me? Who voted? No, I'm not going to get kind till they get kind. That's what the mind says. You get kind first. As long as you're kind, I'll be kind to you. But no, this turnaround, this work says living in harmony with the way things are. So I believe you should be kinder. Guess who should be kinder? I should be kinder especially when you're not. I should be kinder, especially when they're not. So as you turn these thoughts around, feel them. Take them in. Try them on. Because the work is only a theory until it's embodied. So have some embodiment of the turnarounds as you turn them around. I should be kinder. What would that do for you and your life if you became kinder whether they do or not? Get a sense of it. Another turnaround is I should be kinder to myself, which could include I should stop putting myself in situations where people routinely cannot be anything but kind. It gives me responsibility for my own emotions, responsibilities for What kind of situations am I going to put myself in if I was kinder to myself? Then I'd make different choices when I can. So another thought. Children should be well behaved. Fantasy or reality?
Anybody with children knows it's a fantasy. Some of you that don't have any may have a harder time. Fantasy, fantasy, fantasy. Yes, children should be well-behaved. No, we are alpha and omega. We're everything under the sun. So are children, just like us. So we're going to be well-behaved at times and well-misbehaved at times. We're everything, alpha and omega, everything under the sun. So we're going to be cooperative and disruptive. We're going to be respectful and disrespectful. We're going to be quiet and loud. We're going to be kind and unkind. We're going to get close and fuzzy and warm, and we're going to get closed and shut down and cold. It's going to be both and. Both and. Not one or the other, but both and. So children should be well behaved. Is that true? Children should be well behaved. Is that reality? Can you absolutely know that's what should be happening? How do you react? What happens to you and your life? What happens to you? How do you react when you believe the thought children should be well behaved and they're not? How do you react? What does that cause in you? Believe that one thought. And feel it. Maybe even close your eyes. Where does it hit you in the body? Where does it hit you in the physical when you believe the thought children should be well behaved and they're not? Where does it hit you? What's the sensation, physical sensation? Usually hits in the heart, the solar plexus, the neck, the shoulders, tight, constricted, shut down, heavy, even nausea. Children should be well behaved. And then watch the mind. Yeah, judge the parent. Judge the child. How the mind attacks. Dumps the blame, displaces, projects the discomfort, displaces the discomfort, dumps it off. So who would you be having the thought children should be well behaved if you didn't believe it? You could you had objectivity. You could see the thought is arising Children should be well behaved. You're aware now that it's false. It's not reality based. So it has no effect on you. Yes. Giggle. Laugh out loud. It gets funnier and funnier. Who needs cinema when you've got the mind? Who needs theater? Thoughts arise. Thoughts arise. Thoughts arise. Who would you be watching the thought 
Children should be well behaved if you weren't under its effects. Get a sense of it in your body. Get a sense of it in the physical body. What it would be like. Look on the situation. So the situation is the same. The kids are doing what the kids are doing. The kids are misbehaved. The situation's the same. Look upon the situation. What's different is you. And you're not under, you're not inebriated on the thought. You're not drunk on the thinking. Who would you be in the presence of those well misbehaving children if you weren't under the effects of a thought that they shouldn't misbehave? You get a sense of it in your body to be calmer, more present, resourceful. Innovative, collaborative, looking for a, a, a sensible solution, taking sensible action towards solving this. Who would you be in the situation if you simply weren't under the effects of the thought? Then turn the thought around. Children should be well behaved. It comes children should be, should misbehave. I shouldn't misbehave. I should be well behaved, particularly with the children. Because it's going to be my behavior that teaches them. And if I'm viewing this through a framework of right and wrong, of bad and good, that I'm passing down to the children, the 2,000-year-old archaic, worn-out framework of suffering... So I see it still judging right, wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong, judge bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, and then pass that down for seven more generations. Or I dismantle, like we're doing here with this work, I dismantle, I systematically dismantle that old paradigm, that old framework, that old structure of knowing comes down that says, I look upon things in reality basis, alpha and omega, both and, neither good nor bad, neither right nor wrong. This is what is. This is what's in front of me. What can I do from here? All the power in the universe is here. 
what's another option for me? All of these thoughts, the two that we did here, are ways of wanting reality to be different than it is. Wanting reality to be different than it is is hopeless, depressing, stressful. All the stress we feel is caused by arguing with what is. This work also reveals to us As we've seen here tonight, that the things that we think shouldn't have happened actually should have happened. Not because it's good, not because we picked it, not because we voted for it, not because we prefer it, simply because it happened. It should have happened because it happened. That's it. It should have happened because it did happen. No thinking in the world can change what has happened. No thinking in the world can change what's already over. Neither can no praying, crying, tantruming can change what's already over. My favorite part of the past. It's over. This does not mean in any way that we condone what happened or approve of it or anything like that. It's nothing to do with that. It just means that we can now see things maybe for the first time with a clear mind, with a clearer projector. So we're not in the projection trying to rearrange it. We're working now with the projector, what has projected it in the first place. So we clear the lint off of the projector, then the projection clears. So maybe for the first time, we can see things as they are with less resistance and with less confusion and with less of an inner struggle and with less meaning making than we've given it which is what caused the pain in the first place. Now, certainly no sane person wants a child to get sick. No sane person would want that. No sane person wants to be in a car accident or any kind of accident for that matter. No sane person um, wants things like that to happen. But do these things happen? And have they been happening for all of recorded history? So how can it be helpful to mentally argue with them? How can mentally arguing, mentally resisting what is that's happening, that's been happening since recorded history, how could it be helpful?
What are the consequences on your life? What are the consequences to your life when you oppose what is? What does it cost you? We know better than to do this. We have been taught by every master. We've been taught by every sage, by every scripture. What you see is not true. What you see is not real. Know thyself. Question everything. So we know better than to do it. Yet we're still doing it. Because we have simply not known how to stop this until today. So as of today, we have a new practice, something effective, something we can put on paper, whatever we're thinking, have a thought, write it down, ask these questions, and then turn it around. Have a thought, write it down, ask these four questions, and then turn that thought around. And the worksheet um, that I'm speaking about, um, I'll have somebody to post here a link to the worksheet. It's called Judge Your Neighbor Worksheet. It's counterintuitive. It's like using the way the mind projects to actually uh, mirror back to ourselves the unhealed um, unquestioned concepts in us, the, the BS, the belief systems that we have not looked at yet. So your judge your neighbor worksheet. Somebody will put that out there so you'll know how to find that. That's one of the resources from the work. There's also another um, worksheet called One Belief at a Time. And it's like a written meditation to take one painful thought at a time and ask the questions, write it out, and then turn it around and try on the turnaround. So these are tools, things you can use that are free uh, to support you doing this, particularly in this coming week and before we meet again next 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 Sunday night. Another option then is to put some of these practices to place. So one of the practices I introduced here tonight was to try on this both and. Try a practice of both and. So it's neither kind or unkind. It's kind and unkind. Alpha and omega, ebb and flow, light and dark, up and down. So see if, see what that might loosen up in our frozen type place of mind where we're, where the mind has regressed. The both and as a practice. Another practice I'd love you to take on this week is staying in your own business. Now, this sounds simple. I, I'll pray that that's your experience. And I can tell you from my um, experience, it's a full-time job. A, a, a very constant uh, choice and return to stay in my own business. So based on this work, 
it's put out as three types of business in the whole of the universe. My business, your business, and God's business. So if you don't use the word God, no problem. Just use reality or life or universe, whatever works for you. Whatever that is, however, is what rules. Reality rules. Reality is God. It rules. Anything that's out of your control, my control, out of my control, out of your control, and everyone else's control, let's just for the matters of this week, we might get into some deeper territory in the weeks to come, but for this week, let's just categorize it if we can and call it God's business. So, for example... What would, where would, uh, floods and hurricanes and tsunamis and drought and all that, whose business is that? Whose business is whether traffic flows or not? Now get a sense of this. How much time and energy, vital life force I spend and you spend Talking about weather. And talking about traffic. And talking about illnesses. Accidents. Things that we cannot control. So who would you be, what would it do for you in your life, your life energy, your vitality to drop that and just come back to your own business? What would that be like? Yes, very powerful. Get a sense of this as you answer this. The work is not about just answering the questions. The work is about answering the questions and then embodying your answer. So experience your answer. Experience what it would be like to feel powerful, to have more focus, what it would be like to experience freedom, be to be more free instead of uh, trying to control things we cannot control. Much of our stress Day after day after day, during what's going on in the day, much of our stress comes from mentally living out of our own business. For example, you need to get a job. I want them to be happy. She should be on time. He should take better care of himself. Very common, ordinary thoughts happening hundreds, thousands of times of the day, and they're none of my business. None of my business. So, who would you be to stay in your own business? That means dropping worry about Earthquakes, floods, war, when you're going to die, whatever is God's business. God knows. 
the second I get into your business or God's business, the effect will be an effect of separation. An effect of separation. That I have separated from myself and I've separated. An illusion of separation that I've left creator. That I've left what is, like I've got, I'm out here running the show. Like who needs God when you've got me to say how things ought to go? So let's look at a thought. My mother should understand me. Whose business is it who your mother understands? My mother should understand me. The second... I have that thought. I immediately feel an experience of separation. I experience a feeling of loneliness, of despair, of sadness. How do you react when you believe the thought, my mother should understand me? What's the consequences to your life of believing just this one thought? My mother should understand me. And who would you be if you no longer believed the thought that your mother should understand you? Who would you be if you no longer believed your mother should understand you. We can't even understand ourselves. <laughs> How in the world could somebody else understand us? So my mother should understand me. Who would I be if I didn't believe that thought? Present to what is. Non-resistant. Open. Aware. Seeking to understand her instead of seeking understanding from her. I became aware that any time that I felt hurt throughout my life, I was in somebody else's business. So see what you can discover by staying in your own business and coming back to your own business when you catch yourself leaving it. Because what happens is I'm over there running your business. You're over there running your business and I'm over there running your business. There's no one here for me. Which is why we generally feel abandoned, rejected, and then believe that they did it. 
being mentally in your business or somebody else's business keeps me from being present to myself. I separate from myself and then wonder why I'm depressed, despaired, and why life doesn't seem to work. To think that I know what's best for anyone else in the world is to be out of my business. And I do it and I watch other people do it in the name of love. And I can tell you for me, I realized it was not love. It was pure arrogance, righteousness, and indignation for me to think that I know what is best for someone else is false. And for me to project that on them, to come across as that, results only in more tension, more stress, more frustration, anxiety, fear, and separation. The very thing I claim I don't want in the world, the very thing that I claim I want to end in the world, I have perpetuated and will still perpetuate if I fall back into this. If you can understand the three types of business enough to stay in your own business, it could free your life in a way that you cannot even imagine just doing that one thing. So the next time you feel any stress or discomfort, simply ask yourself, whose business am I in? Whose business am I in? You may laugh again or giggle, laugh out loud. Whose business am I in? That question can bring you back to yourself. And then eventually you may come to see that you've never really been very present for yourself. That a majority of our life has been spent living in somebody else's. And then if you practice a while, you may come to see that you don't have any business either. But that's another class. A thought, any thought that we have is harmless. A thought is harmless unless and until I believe it. So it is not our thoughts, but the attachment to our thoughts, our believing our thoughts that's causing the suffering. So thoughts are meaningless. Thoughts are meaningless. A thought arises and that I give meaning to the thought and then believe what I've made up and it stresses me. I believe it. So it is the attachment to the thought that causes the suffering. Attaching to it means that we believe it. And we either are, there's two things. When the thought arises, you either question it or believe it. Thought arises, 
and you either believe it or you question it. One is to be subjected to it. The other is to be objective about it. Observer. We've heard this and read this and have been taught this for decades. Observe. Keep some space between you and the thinking. We cannot be objective and subjected to it at the same time. After a thought is entertained for years, it's attached to, that's when it becomes a belief system. The thought is the core organizing principle. The first thought arose, then we believed it, believed it, believed it, believed it, becomes a belief. Then it becomes our story. Then it becomes our persona, our personalities. So it's like we don't know who we are outside of these this framework. Most people think that they are what their thoughts tell them they are. And this work is about noticing that it's not me breathing. I am being breathed. I am being breathed. And then we can notice with amazement that it isn't me thinking either. I'm actually being thought. I'm being breathed and I'm being thought. It's not personal. Thinking is not personal. We don't wake up in the morning and say, I don't think I will think today. Or I think I won't think today. It's too late. You're already thinking. Thoughts just appear. Thoughts come out of nothing. They go back to nothing. Thoughts are meaningless. Just like a cloud moving across the sky. They come to pass. No thought comes to stay. They rise and pass. There is no harm until we attach to them. There is no stress until we believe that they are true. No one is able to control their thinking that I know of. I'm interested. I'm open. People claim that they control their thinking. That's thinking too. They may tell the story of how they control their thinking. 
I can't know what somebody else has experienced. I just know that I can't control the thinking in me. What I can do is question it and suffer less. I can question it, stay observant to it, objective about it, and not fall under its effects. So we hear a lot in some of our circles, you know, let go, let go, just let it go. Let go and let God, let go and let God. Well, if I could let it all go, I would have already. I can tell you that. So I don't let go of thinking because I can't. I meet thoughts with understanding. I meet thoughts with objectivity. And I meet thoughts with questions like we've done here tonight. Is it true? Can I absolutely know this to be true? How do I react when I believe this thought? Who would I be if I didn't believe this thought? I meet thoughts with understanding. I meet thoughts with questions. And then they let go of me. I don't have any Velcro. Less Velcro. Less Velcro. So there's nothing to stick to. The thoughts still arise. And there's nothing to stick to. Or there's less to stick to. Thoughts are like the wind. Like leaves on a tree. Raindrops. They appear. They pass. Would you argue with the rain? Well, some of us would. (laughs) Raindrops are not personal. Neither are thoughts. And once painful, once a painful thought is met with understanding, the next time it appears, you may simply find it interesting. What used to be stressful, painful, even frightening, can now maybe just be interesting. The next time it appears, you may find it funny. The next time, you may not even notice. The next time, you may not even notice. This is the power of inquiry, of questioning what we believe. Eckhart Tolle refers to this work as the greatest blessing for our planet. He describes that the work acts like a razor-sharp sword that cuts through illusion and enables you to know for yourself the timeless essence of your being. So I'd love us to sit here 
the few seconds of silence and experience who we would be free of thought. Who would you be free of the effects of thinking? Having thoughts and thoughts not having you. An ambush of blessings to all of you. May the practices break through, lift you up, catapult you, and wrap you in the reality of the one. It's a privilege to share this space and time with you and any way I can support you. Be in touch with me. Till next week. Thank you so much, Martha Creek. And I very much appreciate your taking the time to spend with us. I'm going to put these links in with the recording so people can go to the worksheets and practice this. I think it's lovely. Uh, So once again, thank you, Martha. And uh, we will see you next week. Thank you. Blessings. Thank <laughs> you.